Thank you, Paul. Good morning, everybody. Great to be in uh, Kaitaia. Uh, you live in a beautiful part of the country, but you know that. It's amazing. It's just Northland is uh, a hidden gem, and uh, we so enjoyed the drive up, except about the, the 2,000 twists and turns going over that hill. That got a bit tedious, but uh, I have to say, uh, you told me the number of turns, didn't you? And uh, gosh, I didn't, I didn't believe you, but they were there. And, uh, but it's good to be here. We're... Um, we're part of the leadership team at Church Unlimited in Auckland. We, we uh, joined the team five years ago, and, uh, but we're, we're itinerant. So if you look at the plane, that's what we do a lot of, uh, traveling around the nation and overseas. And so we're not at home church very much, just a few Sundays a year. Um, but it's great. We're traveling out to the campuses. We, we've done Whangarei for a number of years. So this is our first ever visit, and we'll be doing Rotorua um, also uh, back over in December, so it's great to be here, and um, and yeah, I, we felt that um, it would be great to have an, an encounter night tonight, just to have a bit of unhurried time to really encounter the presence of God, so trust that you can set aside a night for that, uh, I think it's a one-off meeting, and but it'll be great if you can make it, so this is my beautiful wife Greta, she's going to say hi and share for a few minutes, and I'll come back. Um, well, it's just really wonderful to be here, and um, I, I said to Lincoln before the, the meeting, um, I count it a real privilege to be up here, and uh, it's not a squeeze in, it's, it's, I've, I just know that this, you know, to God, every single person is precious, and is, um, is fully worthy of his love, and it doesn't make any difference whether it's the the huge city or the tiny town, um, every single person is of huge value to God because Jesus died for every single one. So it's just wonderful to be here. Uh, just before I briefly share something prophetic uh, about our message, there's just something I feel to say about Kataya itself. You know, I presume most of you will know that Kataya means ample food. And God's intention is that as a town and as a region, you become your name, a place of abundance, a place of plentiful supply, of life-giving nourishment, both physically and spiritually. And I just feel God wants to encourage you, go after his purposes for this town and region. You know, I, I sense um, that, you know, this is the first time David and I have, have ministered here in Kaitaia, but I just sense the enemy has brought a, a poverty mentality into this area, a poverty spirit. And something that God is saying uh, is that he is in the process of toppling enemy strongholds in the earth right now, and that he is after that thing. And he, we are called to play a part in this. Um, one, there are three things that he just highlighted, is fight, fight in persistent prayer when we go after God's purposes. Secondly, move in the opposite spirit. In other words, we just want to um, pray and allow the Holy Spirit to completely transform and renew our minds and pray that he'll do it out there so that in our, our mindset is this, we know that we are rich in Christ. We are, not po we are not poor because in Christ, all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom dwell. 
And a third thing, so it's fight in persistent prayer, move in the opposite spirit, and speak words of blessing over this town and region. The power of our words of blessing, never underestimate the, the wonderful consequences and um, there is power in our words, and it is Father's heart to bless his children. Father delights to bless. And here is just, especially this scripture in Deuteronomy 28, 3 to 13, there are blessings there that I feel as a church, if you will speak it over this area, into the spiritual realm, um, God will respond. But especially um, these few verses... The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity. You know, that word prosperity means to thrive and flourish. And it's God's will that all of us thrive and prosper in every area of our lives. Body, soul, spirit, relationships, everything. The Lord will open the heavens. In other words, the storehouses of his bounty. Bounty, there's that abundance, that plentiful supply again. To send rain on your land in season. And that the, it's the rain of the Holy Spirit as well as physical. And to bless all the work of your hands. The land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill. That's that ample food. Eat your full. I will look on you with favor and you and make you fruitful. So he will not only make the land fruitful, he will make you fruitful and he will increase your numbers. I feel those are some of his prophetic promises to you as, as a church and as a, as, as a community here in Kaitaia. Just going to take this. I love these adjustable things. They're awesome. I sometimes have a problem having to bend down. But the message that David and I bring today is hope. Hope for the impossible, hope for the future, hope for breakthrough. Those are the things that God's especially laid on my heart. You know, I sense there's somebody here today that you've, um, there might be even more than one, that, who has suffered injustice. And God wants to encourage you and he wants you to hope for the impossible. He is the God of justice and he is our vindicator. We see examples regularly where innocent people are caught in the fallout of other people's choices. You know, like in a car accident, an innocent person gets, gets injured or killed. And I remember years ago, um, my family was caught in, in such a fallout as well. And it was a very unjust situation. It was caused by the wicked choices of some unscrupulous men and it was a very frightening and ominous situation in actual fact it loomed in front of us like a huge black mountain and there was there was no literal way to deal with this thing and what I remember doing was crying out to the God of justice and mercy in prayer and this is what happened I have no logical explanation for this. Do you know that massive black mountain just suddenly literally disappeared? It vanished. And there was nothing, nothing, not another word, nothing ever happened after that. God intervened in his amazing power. And he literally did Isaiah 45 too, where he says, I will go before you and I will level the mountains. So you need to know whatever your situation, 
what, whatever you are facing, pray to the, the Almighty God, the God with whom all things is possible, and believe, have hope for Him to do impossible things in your situation, because He's a good, kind Father. You know, God wants us to also have hope for our future. I can remember in the mid-90s, my, my first husband and I were living in Cape Town, South Africa, and we were praying and asking the Lord, Lord, where do you want us to live on the planet, you know, geographically? What is your will? And after much prayer, we, we felt him say, go to New Zealand, I tell you, go. And he gave us Jeremiah 29, 11, which says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope and a future. And he confirmed that scripture to us in many ways. And so we, we moved halfway around the world to, to an unknown country where we didn't know anybody. And then in January 2008, we, we lived in Auckland. Uh, Ron, my, my first husband, suddenly passed away and went to heaven. And we, we'd been married 28 years, so it was, it was a huge trauma and a huge shock. And it's like my whole world had fallen apart. But then the Lord started reminding me of that, that scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. Even though I had no idea now what my future held, I knew that he held my future and he would give me hope. And all I could do in that situation was cling and sing. I clung to Jesus, my hope. And I just kept singing that Matt Redmond song, Blessed Be Your Name, every single day for, for many weeks. And then, you know, God did a miracle. Five months after Ron went to live in heaven, I was, I was with the Lord, and he suddenly touched my broken heart and healed it. And all the grief and pain was gone, and I knew he'd made my heart whole. And... The next day after that, he started downloading his future plans for my life. And they were incredible. And, and part of it um, was that, that um, Ron and I, he'd called Ron and me together. We, uh, sorry, David and I together. We hadn't yet got, you know, met. We'd had a few emails. And that he'd called us together. And we are literally um, living in the fulfillment of Jeremiah 29, 11 and everything that God prophetically said to us. And, you know, both of us can now testify Isaiah 61, and God wants all of us to testify this, that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives and release of, of prisoners from darkness. That, that is God's heart, and he's wanting to anoint all of us to do this. And I feel there's somebody here um, who is grieving and, and there's someone who may have lost a child and God wants to minister his comfort to you today and just bring you complete peace as well. Keep clinging, keep singing to Jesus and keep trusting the Father. I feel there's somebody else. Um, God wants to restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. And prophetically, God's bringing his global church into a season of redemption and restoration. And he will restore to you the things that you have lost. Because it's a time of freedom and a time of liberty at an unprecedented level. 
God's proclaiming liberty to every captive. He says, be free, come out, and to those in darkness, be free, just as it says in Isaiah 49.9, because we, we have entered in the earth a season of breakthrough, and so we, we were singing that there was a prophetic song about breakthrough, and God is, as we just keep interceding and trusting him, God is going to bring these sudden breakthroughs. He wants you to, us to have hope for breakthrough, whether it is financial circumstances, relations, healings, deliverance, salvations for our loved ones. The, the breakthroughs are coming. This is what the Lord says. Because he's bringing his global church into a season of fresh hope. He's restoring weak hope. He is reviving lost hope. And as the Holy Spirit breathes the breath of life onto those dry bones of lost hope here in, in Northland and around the world, a vast on-fire army full of hope will rise up in the earth. It's already happening. God wants you to be part of it, this army here in Kaitaia. And his intention is to fashion you into a church of powerful hope. Um, and he's, the Lord is like urging us, let hope arise in you. Rise up so that you fall to overflow. That, that you shine out like living beacons, you know, of, with the fire of hope. Because Jesus is our living hope. And he is the entire hope of the world. It's a great word. I'm shorter, so actually if in the publicity photo, I'm taller only because the photographer made me stand on a box. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, yeah, I just, you know, I want to really pick up on what Greta's sharing because I think hope's one of the most powerful forces in the universe. You know, the Bible says faith, hope, and love abide. These three, they, they remain. The greatest is love, but we fail to understand Colossians 1, 4, and 5 says that faith and love spring from hope. So if you don't have hope, you're, not gonna have, you're gonna have an embittered spirit. You have hope, your spirit's sweet, you're able to love. You have hope, it's the substance of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So I just wanna talk about that. And 1 Peter three fifteen it says this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And just before I comment on that, Frank, I've just been sensing for you that um, I've just met you this morning. I don't really know you, but uh, is this why you're sitting in the front hoping to get a prophetic word? <laughs> yeah, he's a smart man. Um, I just feel like that um, for much of your life, you've been overlooked and quite a few times you've been looked down on and you just need to know that you're a son of your father in heaven. And that your value and your worth is through your faith in Jesus. And I feel like Father has a great affection for you. And uh, one of your characteristics is to carry the joy of the Lord to other people. And many times Satan's tried to rob you of that, but you kind of bounce back with that smile. And just keep ministering the joy. Uh, there's a lot of people out there who are pretty sad because they don't have hope. But, you know, as I'll comment in a moment, joy and hope are linked. And I feel like you, God's called you to be a carrier of that joy. And so just keep giving it away. 
give that, let that big smile, you know, be broadcast to others. And um, don't worry about some of the hassles in your life because, you know, Father just takes time to sort us all out. And uh, he's doing that. So, yeah, that's cool. All right. Okay. You know, this scripture, I believe, is prophetic for uh, where the world is at right now. Um, I think there's a lot of darkness. Governments don't have answers to problems. Uh, you know, we've been up, we spent three and a half months in the UK this year ministering, so you're close to Europe. Uh, Europe has got huge problems. It's turned its back on Christianity. It's become very secular. It's got huge problems with Syrian refugees, Muslim migrants. Um, there's a lot of hopelessness and despair up there. Uh, governments don't have an answer for radical Islamic terrorism. They don't have an answer for um, the emptiness that secularism is bringing to a lot of people. If you want to know what secularism is, it's, it's the belief system that we came from nothing and we're going to nothing. That, you know, we, we evolved out of lucky slime and that when you die, there's nothing there. That's, the, that's what secularism believes. So in the meantime on earth, you can do anything you like and it's all okay. And that brings emptiness because it contravenes God's laws. And so consequently, darkness and emptiness are the result of secular humanistic societies like New Zealand, Australia, North America, Europe, Western nations. And, uh, but this scripture says that's the very time when darkness increases in the world. That's the very time that we need to be ready to give people a reason for the hope that we have. And that hope is Jesus. You know where you're going. You know he's coming back. You know the government will be on his shoulder. You know the nations will bow their knee to him. You know you'll get a resurrection body one day. You know if you keep your faith in Jesus, you'll reign in eternity with him. That's called hope. Secularists don't have that hope. They think the sun's going to explode and consume planet Earth and consume the solar system, and that's the end of it all. But we know that the end is great because Jesus told us that. And we need to be ready when people say, when you turn up at work tomorrow facing the same problems your workmates have, and yet you've got a smile on your face, not a false smile, but there's a joy in your soul. They're going to say, what is it about you that you're facing all this, yet you still have this, this optimism? And, uh, you know, you can say, well, it's because of my faith in Jesus. Be ready. Get ready. People are going to ask us, increasingly in the days ahead, people are going to ask What's the reason for the shine on your face? What's the reason for the, the confidence that you have? Romans 15 verse 13, um, God wants us to overflow. It says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I said to Frank, joy and hope are linked. If you've got hope, you're going to have joy. Even in adversity, even in trial, even in the hard times you go through. The Bible says in James, count it all joy when you meet various trials. Why? Because your hope goes beyond the current trial. These light and momentary afflictions work for you in eternal weight of glory. I tell you what, if there's injustice on planet earth, God's going to reward you in eternity. He will straighten it all out. And sometimes we get it straightened out here, but if we don't get it straightened out on planet Earth, it'll be certainly straightened out in eternity. So God wants us to be people that overflow with hope. And that's not by the power of wishful thinking or positive thinking. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, when I meet a crisis, I don't remember a five-point sermon on how to have hope. My natural reaction is to panic first and get a bit discouraged, and then... 
as I begin to wait on the Lord and worship Him, I find the Spirit of God begins to rise up within me with an overflow of hope. Hey, this is going to be okay. This is going to work out. Just have faith in God. Just be confident in Jesus. You say, what is hope? Because actually, we use the word very lightly these days. We say things like, um, I hope it doesn't rain when we have our holiday. I hope I get the job I had the interview for. So we use the word a little bit like wishful thinking. Uh, But biblical hope, if you study the Hebrew and Greek words, is a very strong thing. And we've got a definition coming up on the screen. Basically, hope means a confident and patient expectation of good. It's confident because it believes in the goodness of God no matter what happens. If you doubt God's goodness, you will struggle to have hope. If you believe God is good no matter what happens, you'll be a person that has strong hope. Uh, Bill Johnson says this, hope decreases in direct proportion to our loss of understanding of God's goodness. Uh, Dr. Larry Crabb, an author, wrote a book called Finding God. He said this, feeling better has become more important than finding God for many people today. But he says, you know you're finding God when you believe he's good no matter what happens. Don't let the devil shake your confidence in the goodness of the character of God. Especially when you go through trials and and life is tough, we are tempted to doubt the goodness of God. But if you will maintain your belief in his goodness, that he's a good, good God, then you will be a person that is strong in hope no matter what happens. And many are losing hope today, as I've already said, many in the world are losing hope. And, you know, when you lose hope, then your philosophy becomes eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. There's no future. And so there's an excessive indulgence spirit that's released among so many people that all they can do is indulge themselves in alcohol, drugs, pornography, whatever, in order to dull the pain of lost hope or disappointment. We even find a lot of Christians losing hope. We have the privilege of traveling to 40, 50 churches every year and uh, in different nations and uh, in New Zealand. And we meet a lot of Christians that have lost hope. And the reason that happens is that maybe they've prayed a prayer that's never got answered. Perhaps they had a prophetic word someone spoke over them, and yet it hasn't been fulfilled. Maybe they carried a dream in their hearts of, of, you know, something happening, but it just hasn't come to pass. And the years have rolled by, and that dream has still not come to pass. Maybe they had a deep desire in their heart for something, and it just never happened, and they wonder. And if you get disappointed and don't deal with it, then disappointment starts to turn to disillusionment. And you become disillusioned with everything. And if you don't deal with that, disillusionment will turn to cynicism. And you'll start thinking, you'll start hearing talks like Emma gave, you know, if you give to God, he's going to look after you. Oh, yeah, I tried that, didn't work for me. That's cynicism, you see, because you were disappointed. Or you hear somebody say, Jesus heals the sick. Oh, well, when I got prayed for, he didn't do it for me. And so if we don't deal with that disappointment, quickly you can become disillusioned. And often disappointment comes because we fail as believers to understand the processes that God uses to create hope. You know, he'll use a lot of things. You know, one of the main ways is the word of God. If you're strong in reading the Bible, you're going to be strong in hope and strong in the faith. If you neglect the reading of the scriptures, you'll find yourself weak in hope. Uh, the, The ministry of the Holy Spirit, the prophetic, produces hope. But do you know one of the major ways 
God uses to produce hope in our lives is suffering. Come all the way from Auckland to give you that good news. Aren't you thrilled I came? Actually, we could do without him. Go back. Uh, Because Romans 5, 3, and 4 says that. Suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. So when you handle adversity, you handle suffering, you maintain your trust in Jesus, you keep your love in God intact, you keep believing that he's a good God, even though Satan screams at you, that God you trust in is not so good after all. You ignore the lies of the devil, you keep your heart of trust in him, then you're going to be a person, you'll develop godly character and you'll be strong in hope. And I love what Hosea says in the Old Testament, the prophet Hosea, Hosea 2.15, or God speaks through him. I love this scripture. He says, I will transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. Everybody at some time gets into a valley of trouble. And look, if you're not there this morning in one, cheer up. It's coming. You will not be left out. It'll just find you sometime. Every one of us at different times in our lives, we find ourselves in a valley of trouble. And what is meant to happen in a valley of trouble is that we find the gateway of hope out of it. Every valley of trouble has the potential to be transformed into a gateway of hope. And yet so many get in a valley of trouble and they get discouraged, they get disillusioned, they get disaffected, they even get offended at God. And what happens is they stay trapped in the valley of trouble and their dreams die, their hopes die, their, the prophecies are, are thrown away, their prayers cease. And they become trapped in the valley of trouble and sooner or later it turns to a valley of dry bones where their dreams and their hopes are just like parched bones on an arid valley floor. Now I know the Bible says God can resurrect even dry bones. Is that right? But far better to turn your valley of trouble into a gateway of hope before it becomes a valley of dry bones and needs resurrection. And there are keys to do that. And I don't have time to share all the keys for that today, but I did write a book a few years ago called Hope, Finding a Gateway to a Better Future. There's some copies down on the table. And basically, I wanted to write a book that was really my story and my first wife's story. I'll share a bit of that in a moment. Um, and just our journey, um, you know, I had a battle with cancer. She had a battle with multiple sclerosis. And, um, and God taught us so many things as we journeyed through that, taught us so much about hope. There's some great stories on hope, great teaching on hope that I believe and trust this book will be a real key to help anybody that's in a valley of trouble see it transformed to a gateway of hope. Or even if you're not in such a valley, just to strengthen your hope, make you overflowing with hope. I'd love to give that copy away. Anyone like that? You would like that? Well, it's yours. There you go. How many felt disappointed you didn't get it? Let me see your hand. Just go and buy one. Your disappointment will lift off you. All right. You know, when I was first married to my first wife, Jane, um, way back, um, I had a dream a couple of months after our wedding. And in this dream, I saw my wife and I traveling to the nations of the earth preaching the word of God. And and, um, I thought I was very excited about that. But um, I knew that when we were married, she had a disease called multiple sclerosis, which is a disease of the nervous system. And she was in remission at the time of our wedding and, uh, and enjoyed pretty good health for five or six years. But after the birth of our third child, uh, the disease kicked in. And unfortunately, she had the very worst type of MS, chronic progressive. It just keeps getting worse and worse. And, um, 
And, and, you know, as she got worse and worse and then got confined to a wheelchair, and then um, three years after being in a wheelchair, she could no longer use her hands. And I resigned from my uh, staff role. I was a pastor in a, on staff of a large church in Auckland. And uh, I resigned that to look after her. And I was her caregiver for the next 16 years. Um, you know, this dream would come back. And I'm thinking, Lord, how on earth are we going to go to the nations of the world? She's stuck in a wheelchair. Uh, it's intensive, 24-7 caregiving. Uh, how does that work? And I thought the only way that could work is that God would miraculously heal her. So I prayed. I prayed for a miracle of healing. And a lot of others did as well. And we must have prayed. Uh, I must have prayed for 25 years for a miracle of healing. And all the time, she just got worse and worse. And... Uh, and I remember saying to the Lord one day, many years into this, I said, Lord, this crazy dream about traveling to the nations keeps coming back. And, uh, and your word says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And that's exactly how I'm feeling. Because you know when you're waiting for something for a long time, your heart can become sick with the waiting. So I was quoting the word of God to him, trying to impress the Lord with my complaint. And he's just so clever. He said, son, you've forgotten the second part of the scripture, which is coming up on the screen. He said, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. He said, I'm going to change the season over your life. You've been in a season of hope deferred. I'm going to change it to one of desire fulfilled. I thought, wow, that means you're going to heal my wife. And I prayed all the more intensely. You know, sometimes God speaks prophetically and we misinterpret because it's not clear. Or we interpret in the way we want it to happen, but God might have another plan. And uh, so I just kept praying, and she kept getting worse. And finally, in 2007, her, her, her breathing, her swallowing was affected. She'd get frequent lung infections. She caught pneumonia, and that's what took her out. And she passed away in, uh, just a couple of months before Ron passed away. And, and uh, I was heartbroken. You know, we had an amazing funeral. But a week after the funeral, like everybody's gone back to their normality, but you're left with your loss. Those of you who've lost loved ones know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and I, it was the darkest time of my life. And I said, Lord, I don't know how to get through the pain of this. It's so dark. It's so intense. And, uh, and literally within a few minutes of me praying that, my mobile phone beeped. It was a text message, not from God, but from uh, a friend whose wife had been having an operation that day. And uh, he was just letting me know that she was okay. And then he finishes his text by saying, she's seen Jane, phone me. I'm thinking, what is he talking about? Jane's been dead 12 days. So I phone him up. I said, what do you mean your wife saw Jane? She said, well, she claims that under the anesthetic, her spirit went into heaven. She saw Jane. And so I went to see her later, and I said, what did you see? She said, well, I expected to see someone important like Jesus or Paul or Moses, but I saw Jane. She's Scottish, so that explains the sense of humor. And, uh, and I, I said, well, what did she look like? She said, well, she looked young again. She was standing up. She hadn't stood in 21 years. She had her hands raised up, praising God. Hadn't been able to do that for 16 years. And she saw me and smiled and walked towards me and just said, I'm home. I'm home. She said, I felt such love coming from her. And we'd only been acquaintances, not close friends or anything on earth. It told me that heaven is a place of perfected relationships, perfected love. 
And you know what happened when the Lord allowed her to have that vision and she shared it with me? The doorway of hope in my valley of trouble creaked open a little and some light came in. And over the next weeks and months, God began to open that doorway wider and wider. I I began to read scriptures I'd read many times before, but suddenly they came alive. Philippians 1, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To depart and be with Jesus is better by far. Hebrews 12, 23, when you come to heaven, you come to the spirits of redeemed people made perfect. I thought, wow, when you die, you know, you gain, you're better by far, and you become a perfect spirit in heaven, awaiting your resurrection body, but in an amazing place. And I thought, Jane is gained. She's better by far. She's a perfected spirit. And I made a decision to start celebrating her gain and stop grieving my loss. And when I made that decision, something changed in my heart. And God graciously also gave me some visions of heaven because I just pestered him. I said, Lord, I want one. And I just kept praying, give me some visions of heaven, give me. And I got a few, and it just amazed me what I saw. And I just began to think, wow, I'm not going to grieve. And, and so after five months around the similar time, you know, five's the number of grace. I guess it was the grace of God. I felt like my heart was so healed. I even took my wedding ring off, and I said, Lord, uh, I'm open to being remarried some point, but I just leave it all to you. And, um, and I just got on with life. And then I was reading in the book of Genesis uh, sometime about the story of how Jacob, uh, one of the sons of um, Isaac, he meets his future wife, Rachel. And in the New Living Translation I was reading, uh, it's, uh, it's a sort of a 1990s version, it just says about Rachel, she was beautiful in every way with a lovely face and a shapely figure. I read that and I said, Lord, I want one of them. I thought, if you don't put your order in, you don't get. And I thought, I want, I'm ordering one of them. I'm ordering a Rachel. Thank you, Jesus. And, uh, and then sometime later, I was getting into bed one evening, and I had a vision of a woman come to me three times in the night. And I just saw her so clearly, her, what she, how she was dressed, her stature, facial features, hair color, the whole deal. It was so vivid. I thought, well, maybe that's going to be my future wife. And my son and I went on an overseas trip just to recuperate from all that caregiving. And as I'm flying back into Auckland after this trip, I said, Lord, when this plane touches ground, you said to me, you're going to change the season to one of desire fulfilled. I declare when this plane touches the ground, that season's starting. And I said, part of it's meeting someone else. And Lord, I'm not going hunting. I pray you'll bring her to me. I figured if God could bring Eve to Adam, he could do the same for me. And uh, it's okay to go hunting, guys. That's all right as well. But, um, but I was too old to go hunting. So I just prayed. I prayed that. And uh, and, you know, I get home, and five days later, I go to our church to do a lecture at our Bible college, and the dean of students comes up and says, I got this letter for you, but look, it came three months ago, got lost in my files. I'm so sorry. Here it is. So I do the lecture, and I, and I finish it. I go to the car. I'm curious. I read the letter. It's from Greta. And I've, we've never met But what happened is a couple of months after Jane passed away, I preached a message in church called Blessed Be Your Name because I'd had Matt Redmond's song sung at Jane's funeral. And when she died, I went down to the bedroom where her body was and I just put my hand on her head. I said, Lord, I'm not going to be offended because you didn't heal her. I don't understand. One day you'll explain that to me because 1 Corinthians 13 says, now we know in part, then we'll know in full. And the gap between known and part, knowing and full is called mystery. 
I said, Lord, I'm happy to live with the mystery of this. One day you'll explain it. But I tell you this, Lord, you give, you take away. Blessed be your name. I'm going to bless your name through this. I don't understand it, but I'm going to bless your name in it. And so I had that song sung at her funeral, and I, I just entitled the message that way and shared about my journey through grief, and I sent a video copy to my son in Australia. He says, Dad, this is good. We should put it on your website. I said, no, it's too personal. Don't do that. I said, let's, well, he said, Dad, we should do it. I said, okay, change the title. Let's call it something else. Dad, leave the title as it is. You know you're getting old when your kids boss you around. And here's a little tip. The older you get, be more obedient to your kids because then they'll look after you in your old age, all right? So there comes a time that you don't boss them around anymore. You let them boss you around, or you let them think that they're bossing you around. That's even better. All right, it'll work for you. That's probably wrong psychology there, but anyway. So it goes on the website, and I don't know that on the other side of Auckland City is a woman that's just lost her husband, and she's a physiotherapist, one of her patients, was going to a church that I was part of, and she wasn't familiar with that because that church is not in South Africa. So Greta did a Google search for that church, and it was our church, and she, um, I was part of another church before Church Unlimited, and, and she saw the title. She saw this message on the website, Blessed Be Your Name. Now, I didn't know that for six weeks she was singing that song and had it sung at Ron's funeral. So when she saw the title, she said, I've got to look at that. And the message, everything that I was sharing in my message was everything God was speaking to her. So she said, I'm just going to, she decided she'd write a letter to thank me. And that letter got lost three months. But that was God. Because you see, if it had come at the time that she sent it, neither of us would have been ready for what was about to happen. And in that intervening three months, God miraculously healed our hearts. You know, I'd like to say that she sent the letter because she was so impressed by my good looks, but she actually said later, I thought you looked a bit strange because <laughs> I'm Middle Eastern, I'm not European. And uh, so I get this letter, and it's a lovely letter, and, and so I just replied feeling embarrassed that she'd waited three months, and we just started exchanging emails, sharing about our journey. And I knew something strange was happening about 10 days into this because each morning I was running to the computer to power it up to see if I've got mail from this woman I've never met. Any, ever, anyone seen that movie, You've Got Mail? You know, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan? Well, this was what was happening. I was falling for a woman I'd never met. And we just kept exchanging emails. And I thought, I really like her spirit. And then I, I boldly said to her one day in an email, I said, look, you've seen Jane and me on our website. You can relate. I said, I have no concept of you and Ron. Could you send a photo? I didn't really care what Ron looked like. I wanted to check her out. So I thought that was a, that was a, cunning, way, that was a cunning way to get a photo. <laughs> Boys, just learn a few tricks there, okay? So she sends the photo. When I open it, she's the woman in the vision. Absolute spitting image of the woman in the vision. And, you know, we met and obviously fell in love because she's gorgeous. And, um, and we got married some six months after receiving that letter, which is incredibly quick. And I'd like to say to the young people, don't try that at home. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, just enjoy friendships with the opposite sex and take your time, get to know people and, 
and pray God's leading. But I guess because we'd both had great marriages, God was doing a, a quick work. And you know what? Two months after we were married, we stepped out into full-time itinerant ministry. And now my wife and I are traveling to the nations of the earth preaching the word of God. But that took 30 years to fulfill. 30 years. See, you see, God is faithful. God is faithful to his word, even though it looks dead. 30 years, God kept that alive in his heart when I'd let it go. But God remembered what he'd spoken. And back then when I got it, I couldn't conceive that my wife would any, be anyone else but Jane. And sometimes God takes you into your future, into your prophetic fulfillments in a way you don't want to go, in a way that you can't imagine that, that it would be that way. But in the end, it works out better. Jane's in heaven, Ron's in heaven. One day we'll join them. I'm so glad there's no marriage in heaven because when the four of us are together, it'd be mighty confusing. Confusing, but uh, that, that settles a lot of hassles. And uh, you know, but now we're having fun on earth. Doesn't mean all our troubles are over. We still encounter valleys of trouble. But I have an unshakable confidence. He's the God that transforms valleys of trouble into gateways of hope. If you keep your trust in Him. Some of you have got kids away from God. They've been away from God for years. Keep praying. They will return. They cannot outrun your prayers. God won't forget his promises. You know, Zechariah 9 verse 12 says this. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now, I announce that I'll restore twice as much to you. And I love the New Living Translation. I'll give you two mercies for each of your woes. This is what God says. Any woe, any trouble you go through, if you will be strong in your faith, if you will allow hope to become a fortress of protection, what, what protects you from the, the onslaught of darkness and the enemy around your life? Well, obviously the Lord protects us, but he uses things. And one of the shields he uses is faith and a fortress called hope. And the Bible says, lift up your shield of faith. Return to your fortress of hope. That's where protection will be. If you get outside of hope, you'll get into disappointment, disillusionment, cynicism, and the enemy will pick you off. That's why a lot of Christians don't go to church anymore. They got offended because the pastor did this or a leader said that. Listen, my trust is not in a pastor or a leader, though I honor them. My trust is in him. He's never let me down. People will always let you down. Let the offense go. If you're still offended with some church or church leader, let the offense go. Because your God will never let you down. Humans are imperfect. We'll always make mistakes. Come back to the place of safety, you prisoners of hope. Let hope take you prisoner. I love what uh, Bill Hybel says. He says, lost people can still be found and sick people can still be healed. The world is asking today, is this how it will all end? Is there no hope? Will war, poverty, violence, terrorism increase and keep on increasing? And Heibel says, no, Christians of all people must radiate hope. Wow. I want to finish with this story. I have a friend here in New Zealand. The story's in the book. Her father fought in the New Zealand division in North Africa during World War II. He was a colonel, high-ranking officer. And in one of those early battles, uh, 1940, early 41, uh, he was captured along with many of his men, put in a prisoner of war camp. 
And at that stage, uh, the Soviet Union was not in the war. America was not in the war. So Britain and the Commonwealth stood against Germany and Italy. And things weren't going too well for the Allies at that stage of the war. And so a lot of these prisoners kind of despaired um, in the prisoner, thinking like a prisoner of war camp, maybe they just never get out. And the colonel said to his daughter, uh, you know, some men died from disease and stuff. But he said, the worst thing was when some of my men lost hope. Because it wasn't very long before something just took them out. You know, they just became prone to a disease or they just lost heart and they literally just wasted away. He said, you could see that the light would go out from their eyes. And um, every so often, Red Cross parcels made their way into the prisoner of war camp. There were goodies in them, including chocolate. And while all the men would enjoy their chocolate bars, the colonel would always take his chocolate bar and hide it in his little stash. And whenever he heard that one of his men had got that look of lost hope, he'd go to his secret stash of chocolate and he'd just break off one little square, put it in his pocket, he'd go and see the soldier and get chatting to the soldier. And partway through the conversation, he'd reach into his pocket, he'd pull out the square of chocolate and he'd offer it to the soldier and say, here, this is for you. Soldier would take it and eat it. And the colonel said time and time again, he watched as the light came back into that soldier's eyes. And just maybe that square of chocolate uh, allowed the soldier to think, maybe I'm going to taste freedom one day. And scores of soldiers were saved through a square of chocolate. I was telling this story somewhere else in New Zealand. A man comes running up at the end of the meeting. He said, that story is true. I never doubted. He said, my father was in the same prisoner of war camp with the colonel. He saw that happen. You know what the Bible says? It says, taste and see the Lord is good. Come on, that's the chocolate you and I have to give to other people. And you're allowed to eat some of it yourself, but you're not allowed to pick out on the whole bar, okay? Come on. You got to give that away to people out there. You got to break squares of chocolate off and give it to your neighbors, give it to your workmates, give it to that cousin that's not interested in God, give it to those family members, give it to people that come across your path, give it to fellow students, tell them there is a good God, He has a good plan, no matter how hopeless it might look, He's on His throne and, and the people that entrust their lives to Him, He will sort it out. And I want to close in a moment, and we're going to allow uh, the Holy Spirit just time to minister to people. And we'll close the meeting shortly. But I want to ask you, before we get to praying for people today that just might need a fresh injection of hope, I feel like the Holy Spirit's here with a big syringe, and He just wants to inject. It's painless. He wants to inject. I just thought I'd add that. It's painless. He wants to inject fresh hope. Fresh hope into every soul today. And if you've lost a bit of hope, then why don't you believe the Holy Spirit can inject fresh hope into your heart today? But before we get to that point, you know, I talked about life after death. I talked about how one of the things that healed Greta's in my grief is we knew where Ron and Jane were. How did we know that? Because the Bible says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever doesn't have the Son doesn't have life. Jesus hung on a cross that your sin could be forgiven. When you believe in Jesus Christ, your sin, all the wrong things you do, get removed off your life. And you're, you're washed and you're made clean. It means when you die, you'll go to be with the Lord in heaven. The Bible puts it like this in John 1.12. As many that receive Jesus who believe in his name, he gives them power to become children of God. I wonder, are there some people here today you've never given your life to Christ and today the Lord is calling you to do that? 
take a step and say, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I'm not going to keep living this life as I am. Or maybe um, you've done that and years ago, but you've walked right away from God and the Lord is calling you back today. Now, I'm not talking to you if you're a Christian, you've done something in the last week or two that you're ashamed of. You can go straight to the Lord and ask His forgiveness. You haven't lost your salvation. But I'm talking to you today, if you've never given your heart to Jesus or you've gone right away from God and you know you need to come back to Him today, I would love to pray for you that you would receive Him either for the first time or receive them afresh. Can we just close our eyes to help us concentrate? And I'm going to ask you today, if you know that you need to give your life to Jesus or come back to Him, we're going to pray for you in a moment, but I'm going to ask you to simply indicate that by raising your hand. If that's you, you're saying, yeah, I need to give my life to Jesus or come back to Him. Could you quickly raise your hand right now? God bless you there and over there. Are there anyone else here down the back? Thank you. Down the back there. God bless you. Are there any others? Just raise your hand. You're either giving your heart to Christ or coming back to Him. Just quickly shoot your hand in the air. Who's going to join these four other people that are saying, yeah, I'm I'm giving my heart to Christ today or I'm coming back to Him. Just quickly raise your hand in the air. Sometimes there's a battle that goes on. You feel fear. You feel like, oh, what will people think if I do this? Well, who cares what people think? It's really more important what God thinks. And if you just have some courage to overcome that fear of the enemy, as I scan the room one last time, quickly, just throw your hand in the air. Yeah, I've seen you, sir, down the back. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Just quickly raise your hand. Just raise your hand right now. Yeah, God bless you, ma'am. Thank you. All right, just as I scan the room one last time, is there anyone else? Don't want to miss anyone out. Just quickly raise your hand. You're saying yes to Jesus or you're coming back to him. All right, church, let's stand, shall we? Thank you, Lord. I would love to pray for the five folk that raise their hands. My problem is you're scattered all over the room. I can't get to you. You can much more easily get to me. I'm just going to ask you right now, would you mind just stepping out of your seat and just come and join me quickly down the front? Just come quickly, church. Give them a hand. That's wonderful. Just come. God bless you. It's so wonderful.